Psychic Sisters, this is a true crime pop-up, your true crime pop-up for Friday. So you may notice I'm not in my usual location, nor am I on my usual camera. I am traveling, but I didn't want you to miss out on a little true crime pop-up and conversation. One thing I've been really looking into a lot lately are female serial killers. I find them very, very interesting from a true crime standpoint because they are so different from male serial killers. First of all, there aren't nearly as many of them, as I'm sure you know. Beyond that, they often have very different reasons for doing what they did. So I've somebody I've been really learning about and studying lately is Eileen Warnos. You know who Eileen is. I'm sure that you do. She was, uh, let's see, she was convicted of, well, over time, seven murders in Florida. She was working as a sex worker at the time during those murders and I don't know if you've ever watched any of the uh interviews with Eileen herself but she I I have a lot of empathy for her and a lot of I guess I guess you could say some understanding for her as a social worker watching the the videos of her and realizing how very limited she was and how incredibly traumatized she was. Now, I'm not trying to minimize what she did. She killed seven people. And it was never proven in any of the cases that any of those people were doing her harm at the time that she killed them. I feel like um, in learning about her, more likely she was actually sort of like killing her abuser over and over again. Or... In working in sex work, she was just constantly triggered of her from her own trauma. Now, she did a lot of crazy stuff, and so I'm not saying that what she did was okay or justified in any way, because it's it's not. But I think it's important to understand it just a little bit if you have not studied Eileen Warnos at all. Um, some things to know about her. Her mother was 14 years old when she married her father. Her brother was born in 1955. She was then born... Oh, man. That's right. They were only 13 months apart. She was born February 29th of 1956. He was born March 14th of 1955. So they were very close together, and their parents were literally still children when they were born. They only stayed together about two years. Eileen never met her father because he was convicted of sex crimes against children and was in prison when she was born. He had schizophrenia, and he killed himself in prison. This is how she comes into the world, right? So when she was about four, her mother abandoned her and her brother with her grandparents. That was Laurie and Britta Warnos. These were her, 
her grandparents, they were um, alcoholics. They did adopt them, but they didn't take very good care of them. And so by the time Eileen Warnos was 11, she was trading sexual favors for things that she needed because she didn't have anybody taking care of her. I feel like one of the things that I really learned about studying Eileen Warnos is that she didn't really see that she had any value as a human being in the world. And when you don't see yourself as having value, I feel like you also don't really see anyone else as having value either. And so I, to her, to her, I'm not really sure that she understood that she had done something so terrible. Many, many terrible things had been done to her throughout her life. So what was the big deal? And I'm not, I'm not excusing her. I just, I feel like it's important to look at some of these things and understand a little bit about her. She was, she was trading sex for cigarettes, drugs, and food when she was 11 years old. There, she had a long history of sexual abuse herself. Her grandfather, her grandfather's friend, who was the father of the only child that she ever had. This child was born when she was uh, 14 and was put up for adoption. So she didn't really get to know her own child. She, um, she just sort of ran off and started living in the woods, if you can imagine that. And was, you know, taking care of herself, even at 14 years old. At 15, her grandfather threw her out, and she just started working as a sex worker to support herself. I mean, what other choice did she have, really? So she was then living in the woods near her old home and supporting herself through sex work already at, at 15 years old. So she had a long criminal record, right? She had a long criminal history, um, she had a bunch of stuff as far as like, uh, armed robbery, lots of theft, some stealing a gun at one point. There's a lot of, she, a lot of theft, mostly just, you know, basically trying to stay alive, support herself. Right. And hi guys. Hey, uh, Cooper, Betty, Megan, thanks for coming on. Yeah, this is just a, a random live. We just do these pop-ups on the weekends a little bit. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about Eileen Warnos because I have found her so interesting. I've been watching interviews of her in prison and just really seeing like how, how they found her competent to stand trial. I, I don't know. Um, but she was eventually charged with the murder of Richard Charles Mallory and she um, killed him on November 30th of 1989. And her story about him was all over the place. She talked about him be him um, sexually assaulting her. And, you know, she was just defending herself. At other times, she said, no, she definitely did kill him. It, it was found long after she was convicted that he actually had been convicted of rape and served 10 years in another state. And so that never came out. Like her defense was terrible because of course she just had public defenders and they didn't really use her history the way that they could have. Ultimately it didn't really matter because she, 
once she was convicted of one murder, then she started to admit to these others. So after Richard Mallory, it was David Spears, Charles uh, Karskadden, I guess that's how you say his name, Peter Sims, or Seams, Troy Burris, uh, Charles Humphreys, and Walter Antonio. Now, she did say, she she went back and forth a lot, and one of the things you have to know about her is that she had borderline personality disorder. I also feel that she probably had some kind of a psychotic disorder as well. She did what um, is known as confabulation, and confabulation is something that a lot of people who have a significant mental illness do, and that is that they don't really remember a lot of what happens in their lives, and so they fill in the blanks, and so their brain just sort of fills in the blanks with what's most likely or what they've been thinking about most recently. And so their stories change over time. And this is in watching her speak in these videos, it was really clear to me that this is confabulation. She doesn't exactly remember. And so her body just kind of, her mind just kind of fills in the blanks for her about what she'd done. But she did go back and forth a lot, particularly. Oh, you can't see me? Maureen says, you can't see me. I don't know why you wouldn't be able to see me. I can see me, so I hope you can. That's weird. Okay. Oh, Megan says video is working on her end. Okay, good. So maybe that's just a problem that you might be having. Uh, Maureen, hi, Maureen, hi, RJ. Nice to be here. N nice to be here with you. Um, so at one point she said it doesn't matter that she was defending herself from Richard Mallory because what really does matter is that she murdered all these other men. She had a couple of women in her life that were rather interesting. She ended up in a lesbian relationship. She was with a woman at the time that she was actually committing these murders. And that woman assisted in um, catching her actually because she got a little she was a little unsure about what was going on and she was really worried that she was going to be in trouble oh good Maureen can see me now I'm so glad she was worried she was going to be in trouble and her name was uh Terry Moore and so Terry Moore worked with the police actually to help get her to confess actually so again another person that pretty much gave her up, unfortunately. So then there was this woman, Arlene, that got involved in her life. After she was convicted, Arlene started, she felt like she was brought to Eileen by God. And so she was there to try to help her. But she was also getting paid for all of these interviews that she was doing about Eileen. And Eileen just kind of got used by the media you may have seen the movie about her. I would recommend not so much the movie, but the documentary. Because the documentary is really her telling her story. It's really interesting stuff. But um, she just kind of got used her whole life. I, I just my, The bottom line I felt like in watching her is that she truly did not see herself as a human. She didn't see herself as a human with value. And because she wasn't a human with value, then really no was 
anyone else wasn't either. Like she just didn't value herself. And I don't think she saw anyone else's value as having value that these men, um, you know, they just sort of represented all of the pain and hurt and, um, abuse that she had been through in her life. I don't know. It's just a different, her experience as a serial killer was so much different than those of the men that we normally see. And pretty much always, and I'm going to talk about another female serial killer later on in the weekend as well, but their their motivations are so much different. And that's something I'm just finding very interesting. So something to think about. Uh, let's see. So her execution was on October 9th of 2002. There were several attempts to keep her from being executed. There were appeals and, and a bunch of stuff. She eventually had a different attorney. Um, you know, they tried to claim that the other attorney was incompetent. They also, you know, found out that Richard Mallory was in fact, um, a convicted rapist. They tried to use that. They tried to use her mental illness. They tried to use a lot of stuff that never worked. And so ultimately on October 9th of 2002, she was executed. Here are her last words. If this explains at all what her mental capacity was. She said, yes, I would like to just say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back. Like Independence Day with Jesus, June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all, I'll be back. I'll be back. She didn't have a grasp on reality, you guys. She just didn't. And, uh, you know, I, I go back and forth about capital punishment. I feel like it's a, I don't know, there's a lot to be said about that. And that's not really why I'm on this live with you today. But I really have a hard time seeing someone like Eileen Wuornos get the death penalty and be executed when just in hearing her speak about herself and her experiences, she clearly didn't have a clear grasp on reality. She did some terrible things. She murdered men. She took them away from their families. I That I get, you know. What I don't get is how they could consider her to be competent and competent to stand trial and also competent to be uh, executed. I don't know. Just curious what you all think about that. I, uh, I know that we won't really be able to, I'm, I'm chat, I'm live streaming from my phone. So I only see the chat some of the time. It just sort of comes and goes. I don't know why that is, but if you have something to say about that, please share it on the video. I feel like what I really wanted out of this pop-up was a discussion about Eileen Mornos, about her and, um, oh yeah, here we go. You guys have popped back up again. Uh, Aaron says she never had many instances where she was treated like a human. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't have many instances where she was treated like a human. She was mostly not treated like a human. Um, I don't believe she was sane when she was put to death. I, I don't either. I don't either. And that, it just really bothers me. Like, just bugs me that she was not seen for being so ill as she was. Um, Maureen says probably was based on the way she went about killing. Yeah. You know, she, she murdered her victims with a gun, which also was an interesting thing because women don't usually use weapons. 
Do I know the names of the movie and or the documentary? I think I have them here in my notes. Let me look here and I can tell you. The documentary, uh, Eileen Moore knows the selling of a serial killer. And um, Eileen, Eileen, life and death of a serial killer. Those are both really good. Um, I feel like those. And then the film was called Monster. And it was Charlize Theron who played her in the movie. And it did kind of chronicle her experience. But I really feel like really the life and death of a serial killer, Eileen, the life and death of a serial killer is my favorite one to really get a picture of her because she does talk, um, you know, about her experiences and to hear her talk in circles and to hear the things that she says, she's not sane. And, and I don't know, I, I'm curious what y'all think about that. You know, do we, do we have the right to execute someone who is so clearly not sane? Just a thought, something I've been thinking about a lot lately. There's been a lot of death in the news lately, and it really makes me think a lot about the way that we handle things. Uh, Cooper says, trauma changes us at a cellular level. Would she have become a killer had she not had the life experiences she had? Exactly. She was not a born psychopath. Like we... We've talked about some born psychopaths here on the show before, and and Eileen was definitely not one of them. I mean, was she antisocial? Yes. She also had borderline personality disorder, along with, I I would imagine, um, at least some level of developmental disability. And, you know, so it does make you wonder, like, where where do we draw the line? Uh, Erin says she did extreme wrong, but I've got complete sympathy for her. Her reality was pure nightmares. It was. There was never a time in her life that anybody actually cared about her at all. Uh, Maureen says, I think I base, they based it on how she went about killing. Like, was she aware she was killing the men? Right, right. And she was. She was aware of what she was doing. But it was a little bit more about the why, and it was a little bit more about her grasp on reality that really troubled me when it came down to her execution. So something to think about. I really appreciate all of you being here with me to have this conversation. I really enjoy these pop-ups. I think they're a lot of fun. Look for another one uh, tomorrow. I don't know what time it's going to be. As you can see, I'm in a hotel room. I'm traveling and I'll be doing them from my phone and I have no makeup on and I'm not in front of my usual nice lights and camera, but I did not want to miss out on having this conversation with you guys. So thank you so much for joining me. And you know it. This is True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower, and I really appreciate all of you joining me. Talk to you all soon. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.